been pulling some elaborate prank on me? No, Jay. When bad things happen, I know you want to believe they are a joke. But sometimes, I do the scary and dark. That is why we must find the light. Alright, welcome to our next episode of Ego Exposed. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jonathan, and I've got two of my friends here with me today. Uh, we've got Connor from the last episode. Say hello, Connor. Hey, guys. And we have Prashant, who is a first-time guest. And say hello, Prashant. Hey, guys. Nice to meet you. It's Prashant from India. Uh, it's 4.01 a.m. here, but I feel like I'm totally alive at this point, joining the rest of these guys. Uh, <laughs> so I work as a writer, and uh, I'm currently working on a script that involves a lot of spiritual investigation as part of the main plot. So I've used myself as a test subject, and uh, this conversation is going to go the way this conversation is going to go. But I guess a good premise to this episode would be to pretend that this conversation never happened. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to have a uh, a very good conversation this episode, I feel like. Uh, but th yeah, that's it. We, we're not going to have a set topic. We're just kind of going to see where it takes us. And uh, I'll let uh, Connor finish introducing himself. He had some uh, uh, clarifications he'd like to add from, from last time, I think. Actually, yeah, and this is something um, that's been on my mind since the last episode, really, because it was it was brought up to me by one of the people who listened to it, how when I introduced myself in the last episode, I said that um, I, I'm a student of the occult. Now, that, you know, that's a sort of a loaded word, and I was hoping maybe with you wise folks on here, we could at least start to unravel that and um, sort of unpack some of its meaning. It's kind of scary, right? It's kind of a dirty word. People, when you say the word occult, people think cult. We think of cultish behavior and, you know, biting the heads off of baby chickens and stuff like that. But um, I think just to sort of skip to what I think, it's it's about what's hidden. Exactly. The word occult, it, yes. The word, so the word occult just means it's similar to the English word um, – I guess the Latin root of, of occlusion or um, occluded. So when something, so for instance, uh, we have the word eclipse, but it's also related. So when the moon moves in front of the sun or vice versa, they occlude each other. They also occult one another. So what you find in all sorts of um, spiritual texts in the Bible, in the Vedas, and in, in, in all these kinds of things is is layers of meaning. And this is why, like, when, say, a Protestant or something like that reads the Bible and they read all these extra layers of meaning, and that's where part of their philosophy comes in, that the Bible is something, or at least, you know, Scripture in general maybe too, is supposed to be interpreted by you, by the individual, and the meaning of that Scripture comes out for the individual to, and, you know, that sort of the meaning that you read into it is meant to be in that moment. That's kind of, you know, it's not, it's not always seen that way, but that's a way of seeing something behind the text and seeing sort of the some of this knowledge 
like gnosis say that's that's sort of hidden behind behind these kinds of things so i just wanted to get that off my chest actually because i because i was confronted by someone saying you know you really shouldn't use this word <laughs> cold. and 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 um no nah, man you're uh, good I, that was uh yeah. sorry go ahead well, no, I, I see the point. I see why it's kind of scary. But yeah, it's I mean, also, yeah, go ahead. yeah, it's I mean, like you said, it's a dirty, loaded word, but occult just means hidden knowledge. Um, I mean, that's that's the definition of it. But there's been so much conditioning done to that word over the years. And exactly. uh, yeah, it, it does have a, a dirty meaning behind it. And, you know, a lot of people, I think it's scared at another thing that you said that the Bible is anything other than the inerrant literal word of God and suggesting otherwise offends a lot of people's, uh, you know, core well, beliefs. And, yeah. And it is. And what do you, and what do you mean by that? That saying that the Bible is the word of God. I think what that means to me is, um, exactly what we're talking about. The ability of this transcendental force to make meaning for you in your life through these words on a piece of paper that, you know, I mean, truthfully, were written down 400 years after the, you know, or at least uh, codified, canonized, you know, 370 odd years after uh, the life of Christ. And these, these words ability to sort of spring to life in your heart, you know, that, that's kind of, and that is that these are, it's kind of the occult mystical power of scripture and of, of these texts. So it's just cool. It's kind of a neat topic. I kind of wanted to, open that up yeah. you know i think ultimately it's just that it's opening a possibility to a superposition of possibilities and uh, <laughs> like words words are just made up things right like you don't really have set definitions their their meaning evolve over the over the period of time so i think a big problem with the word occult has also been because of the fact that people don't have this information accessible to them quite simply it's just that uh, mm you start to look at people to give you answers on things that you need to investigate subjectively. So the kind of people who are having these experiences are a very limited subset of society. And their way of transmitting teachings has also been in a very, it was, it was done in a very secretive way because they wanted this information to persist for the longest period of time. So they wanted only right. the most dedicated people to, come and use their own consciousness as laboratories and then have their own experiences <laughs> with truth before you start talking about truth. Uh, yes. Gosh, that's, well, that just well, resonates yeah. with so much I read today. Oh, man, I've been reading The Kabbalion and uh, about oh, Hermeticism man, that, that and alchemy. Oh, and it just it's like everything that you just said, uh, I've been looking for that. I don't know, that the way that it, you enunciated about it or... or explained it i don't know it just made sense to me then it's like the bible it's talks brain about tldr what was that sorry i think it's if you wanted to if i wanted a tldr version of it it's just brain porn all these kind of scriptures and writings that have opened up so many possibilities of examining your perspective it's it's truly a gold mine like if you can mm. just go back and see how many people there were to help you out in your journey you'll just be amazed I, you know, that's, and that's a great, I love that too. I, I, I think about that sometime about how, and, um, I'm a big Terrence McKenna fan as a lot of us are, but, um, it, it, it harkens back to that idea that when you think about how many people 
have had to live and have had to experience an entire life of gaining their own knowledge and then you know for you to exist it's you that is existing right now and you are a genetic expression and you know an etheric expression of all that energy that's come before you it's beautiful and 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 back in to that other topic um there's this this talk of like pearls before swine and stuff like that and it's 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 interesting when you ask yourself what our role is here you know when we i i'm, I'm not very much into this idea that like People, you know, there's there's nothing about um, sort of a spiritual liberalism that makes our version, our particular, what the the way that faith manifests for us superior to any other faith, and that I think is very important. But but there's maybe there's something to be said for for the quest that we're on. And we you know we we found each other. We found one another in this you know on the internet. It's just it's just a beautiful thing. Find the others. That's what uh that's what McKenna said, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. It's the yeah. vibe that brings your soul tribe together. I feel that's just what's at play here. The way we found each other and the kind of people we found on this forum who have all had such unique perspectives, but somehow they made it here. It's mm. just amazing when you track the series of synchronicities that led to these kind of mm -hmm. uh, amazing meetings happening of people all around the world. I mean, for instance, what we are doing at this moment is incredibly unnecessary and archaic. And we do it because it's how we've always done it, gather together and uh, talk. But, uh, you know, Tim Leary had a wonderful saying back in the 60s. He said, find the others, find the others. Well, if you go on to the net, no matter what your concern is, you know, the restoration of South German harpsichords or whatever it is, there are hundreds of people waiting to share their secrets with you, to passionately communicate with you, to draw you into a community. The net is a tremendous permission for eccentricity. It's, it also resonates with this idea of of a spiritual community it's why people go to church and go to mosque and go to synagogue that there's a sort of that there's a group initiation that happens i used to be a um a member of a community called esoteric online which was uh one of the top like really really booming social media um sort of online communities for esoterica and for the study of metaphysics we'll say you know and eventually i had to leave that community but what I experienced in talking to those people, I felt very much the same way about that community as I do about y'all. And I think even more so about y'all because we are, you know, I'm here now and I'm, you know, I'm that much further in my journey. But um, there is this aspect of group initiation and, and the experiences I had with those people were profound. I mean, and like the, the degree to which you can become synchronized with people, regardless of distance, regardless of background regardless of having ever seen their face or heard their voice even you and we here have the advantage of that but is is it's just amazing um i mean i was i would sit in front of my computer and this was years ago a few years ago and just trip out on the on the synchronicities of of speech and text and language that was coming through in this chat room in front of my eyes as i was asking these um you know, these metaphysical questions and the synchronicities, man, they just keep 
building and building the more you get in tune with the field. And I think having a community even amplifies that. I mean, conscious attention, you know, I think that's, that has to do with a lot with like, uh, I'm going to say some dirty words here, but, uh, like sigil magic, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good time for, you need some sound effects right there. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, dun, dun, dun. Uh, there you uh, re- really quick. Let me, uh, clarify, uh, just in case we forget, don't want to forget about our listeners, uh, who may not be aware of the community that we're speaking of. It is a subreddit on the wonderful website of reddit.com called <laughs> Hollow Fractal. Uh, Hollow Fractal is a proposed theory of unified physics presented by uh, one Nassim Haramein, and I don't know if that's how you even pronounce his name. That's how I pronounce it. So. I don't either. Nassim Haramein. Nassim Haramein. And that sounds so much better. Uh, but, <laughs> but this, it's a, yeah, it's a proposed theory of, uh, unified physics. It's currently looked at by most of the, uh, mainstream physics community and others as a crackpot theory. Uh, I personally am, am still on the fence about it. I've seen a lot of things about it that I, I like. Uh, there are some th- other things I would also like to see, but, uh, right. won't, won't and... get into that right now, but that, that is the, uh, community oh, that man. we're talking about being a part of. Yeah, we can if y'all want to. I I, I kind of liked where it was going, though. Yeah. I mean, Naseem's theory has really opened up so many different perspectives for us that were never available, especially for those who had come from this left-brain approach of trying to figure out the universe in, in more observe, or like objective terms. So, like, our journey just kept getting more complicated the, the further we went, and kind of had our own brushes with not believing in things to keep ourselves secure and keep ourselves invested in another belief system. And you kind of come to a point where you realize that neither believing nor disbelieving is going to do any good for you. Mm. Because they're not getting you any closer to the truth. And somewhere down the line, you have to man up to yourself and then realize that this character that I was identifying with Maybe it doesn't need to have these kind of belief systems you get programmed with. Maybe you need to discover something that is deeper within you before you try to embrace a morality that was imposed upon you. And I feel like that's kind of what we're getting in touch with, the, the natural way of experiencing where morality comes from and then using that as a script to write your own life the way you want it to. And I feel like most of us have come here to this point because we've taken our own little shortcuts and we've taken our own little neat ways all around the web and uh, our lives in the process and come to this point where we're discovering so many different things that we never thought were possible to explore at one point right and even even that in your journey it 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 waxes and wanes and it ebbs and it flows you know i um for me, um, these things these things do come and go. I actually am just now coming back to having a sort of spiritual understanding of reality that really fits with my cognitive style and my character and stuff like that. I have um, uh, Mercury and Scorpio and, and stuff like that, and uh, Sun and Scorpio as well. But I, um, 
it, you know, I, I've, I often tell people that I, I kind of need a little bit, and this is odd, but I, I need a little bit of a, a, a left brain, enough of a left brain explanation of, of reality so that the right brainedness can then flow out, you know, onto this, I need a blueprint or sort of a geometrical kind of a map that I can work with. And in, um, or at least maybe I feel that say I, you know I don't know if that's a story I tell myself or what. Well, I don't think but, that either way is is right. You've got to have both. It's balance. You can't just have a left you know brain way of looking at it or a right brain. It's it's going to be a combination of both. I think. Yeah, it's both both aspects of knowledge. There's, you know, uh, yin and yang aspects of knowledge, and um, it's just you know. And we were talking about other alternate um, theories of physics uh, when I first sort of started grappling with these mystical ideas I was a, I was a little bit younger this was only a, a few years ago and and um, I was able to just sit and try a little bit like I did like a one of my most initial mystical breakthroughs was just uh, innocently sitting and doing that practice where you um, you plant roots and you grow etheric roots into the earth. And I had a Kundalini style breakthrough right then, you know, I mean, and it was one of the first few times that I, that I'd tried to, 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 to dive deep like that. Um, and then, uh, for whatever reason, for a number of reasons, time and circumstance and all that kind of stuff, I actually, um, completely fell off the wagon. Uh, Prashant and I were talking about this, you know, sort of atheism versus agnosticism and, whether or not we've grappled with those ideas, but I I always had sort of an agnosticism at least or an a gnosticism, but uh, rediscovering Nasim Haram uh, Nasim Haramain's uh, theories uh, has taken me back into some of the other theories that I was uh, toying with before all this, which is the theories of Dan Winter and you know a lot of these other guys, even like Walter Russell and Nikola Tesla and, and all this kind of stuff. There's so much out there and there's so much information to be had. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's plentiful. This is a whole nother uh, can of worms, but the unification of the unified theories is a problem in our field because the, like you said, there's not, um, we're not given a lot of, uh, a lot of credit by the mainstream because the mainstream is mired in scientific materialism, physicalism, the idea that, matter is where it's at and that matter is basically billiard balls bouncing around. Um, whereas we know, I, I can actually remember when I was in middle school, I was told that the atom is 98% empty space, which is really funny because in the, in the time that, it, you know, since then we now know it's 99.9999, et cetera, uh, percent empty space. Yeah. Just a lot has evolved and, um, I don't know. I'm bouncing around here. Help me out, guys. <laughs> hey, I mean, you're you're going on fine by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I mean, but yeah, you you touched on a lot there. So let's mm -hmm. uh, let's back up a little bit. Uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. that you had a Kundalini experience. Uh oh. Uh, for those of us who who don't know what that is, uh, let's touch on that for a minute. I'm actually quite uh oh, I'm actually quite opinionated about about kundalini now and about my kundalini experience i actually had um and prashant i know you're going to help me out with this um or i know you're going to have plenty to say 
Um, but I actually got a little overzealous with my Kundalini experience and it kind of backfired. Kundalini is, um, is a form of energy that rushes up the spine during meditation. It's said to arise from a white snake wrapped around a lingam at the base of the spine at um, the uh, Muladhara chakra. Prashant, help me out here, man. Yeah, the, the serpent of yeah, knowledge. It's, it's, somewhere between the, it's somewhere between the Muladhara and the Swadhisthana chakra. So those are the first two chakras in the human body. There are mm -hmm. seven of them. Uh, first one is Muladhara, the second one is your sacral chakra, uh, that is the Swadhisthana, number mm -hmm. three is uh, the solar plexus chakra, that's the Manipura chakra, number four is centered around your heart, which is the Anahata chakra, uh, the fifth one is your throat, that is your Vishuddhi, next one is Ajna, that's uh, related to your third eye, and the one that transcends it all is the Sahasra chakra. So that is the point of the cosmic consciousness, which we also call the violet flame. Mm -hmm. And the whole objective of the Kundalini is to awaken it from the Swadhisthana Chakra, where you can see uh, the whole uh, the whole energy dynamic of the Kundalini is a vortex, right? And uh, uh, th that shows you the flow of the chakras, the way in which the chakras are manifesting to your astral bodies and they are connecting to your physical body. So these mm -hmm. chakras, they channel these energies through these different seven vortexes and they localize your energy to a more uh, physical geometric form. So the more oh. you accelerate your kundalini development and you take it further through your chakras, the more you will give the universe a wider bunch of selections to optimize your own body to your natural self. So that's like the the real spiritual principle of doing the Kundalini. To just connect okay. with your most optimum uh, natural configuration. So you're inviting the universe uh, to, to fill you with its energy. Just let it that's, do its thing. It knows what it's doing. That's And that is... And see, alright, we're, we're getting a little full circle action here. Because we were talking earlier about this idea of... Um, keeping some of this knowledge hidden, all right? We're talking about a very esoteric practice, this raising of the kundalini energy. Um, but what you see a lot of disseminated on the internet is not allowing this stuff to be a passive process. You see a lot of people advocating for a very, um, a very active and intentional raising of what I would call in the Chinese, the Chinese uh, medical and mystical tradition a uh, sort of a pure yang or qian energy to the head um and that is where i you know i have a little bit of a bias but there's there's a version of what you would consider the raising of the kundalini in um in the um in chinese sort of uh physiological practices taoist um uh taoist alchemy basically um called the microcosmic orbit, or sometimes it's called the celestial circuit, where um, instead of just raising the kundalini or also, uh, or raising, excuse me, raising pure yang, you're also letting pure yin sink on the opposite side. And that's, that's why I have sort of a, a little bit of a bias now. Now, I also did it wrong. And that, that's why I have, I have um, such feelings about kundalini's that I got, like I said, a little overzealous with my 
Kundalini experience. So I was, I mean, I remember sitting in class. Can I, uh, uh, I hate to interrupt you real quick. Uh, yeah. What? Can I, I would just like to lay a disclaimer on this and then I'll let you, um, uh, finish your yeah, story, ahead, but please, I, I, think I, I just wanted to expand on what you said about occult. The reason for some of this knowledge, like Kundalini uh, release and expansion, is that it's dangerous. Um, exactly. And it's mm-hmm. if you do it wrong, you can really screw yourself up. Um, yeah, right here. So I would just like to warn all of the people listening, do not go out and just try to raise your kundalini and now um, i apologize uh, profusely for interrupting I think you it's most appropriate to say that you need to go to someone who has had that experience personally sure. and who knows what it's like to take you through the ropes of getting there mm-hmm. who has a few few years of experience so the thing is you right. end up finding most of these in very limited access schools like uh I, I don't think there are too many lineages of Kriya Yoga available in America. I, I think there's uh, there's Self-Realization Fellowship and mm-hmm. uh, there's the Ananda Foundation and also the Isha Foundation, uh, which I'm a part of. So the, those, those three or four organizations have been doing a lot of great stuff and they have just allowed the stuff as it was back in the day from the days of Patanjali and all mm-hmm. these ancient rishis uh, who have passed all this priceless wisdom to just pass the way it has been passed. Not to pass right. Chinese whisper versions of it, but just absorb yourself in that knowledge enough to integrate those experiences in your life. And for that, you need yoga as a very strong complement while you're doing your Kundalini experiences. Because yes. these experiences are meant to change your physiology and also your psychophysiology to a major way. So you need to develop your nervous system and your circulatory system to perform at those higher efficiencies. You cannot risk doing one thing and not doing the other for yourself. It's a, it's When you talk about ascension, it's not about leaving your body behind. It's about taking everything with you. It's about optimizing your body condition <laughs> to the highest states of efficiency. So it's your responsibility to take care of your body. Do not buy into what I say or what anyone else is and what anyone else is saying here. But we are just speaking from our own experiences of trying what we felt was necessary for our evolution. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's taking us in a very beautiful direction, which is why we're all here to discuss these things. Amen. Yeah, and, and there, yeah, I was going to say amen, right? And there has to be a little bit of... Um, you know, it's normal to, to meet some bumps along the road. What I never got around to saying is that um, my Kundalini experience, because I didn't have a master and because, um, frankly, because it it felt so good. So when you do this, when you raise this Kundalini energy to the head, uh, there is a blissful experience. And I think in Kriya Yoga, uh, in some places, it's described as um, uh, like 10,000 orgasms. And that is, and that is similar oh, to... Man. And that is similar to how my first ever experience was before even knowing what Kundalini was, see. And then, you know, once I discovered about that practice, I tried to do it myself. And it bit me in the ass, frankly. So um, what happened was I was I was doing this thing and very, you know, I'm not I'm not proud of this, but it is it is part of the, my path that I've experienced. So um, 
you know, I was doing this thing and I was raising this Kundalini energy and I was doing it throughout the day and I was breathing. I was just breathing up this, this, this bliss. Um, but I wasn't doing it with the right reverence. And I also wasn't doing it with the right actual physiological grounding. Like you're talking about Prashant. Um, um, and this also, uh, parallels in Chinese medicine, you do Qigong and you do Tai Chi when you engage in these practices because uh, stagnation of energy is, is one of the definitions of disease in Chinese medicine. So what happened is this, this kundalini energy, I had a sort of uh, an emotional kind of a trigger that ended up being sort of like a, a mini little panic attack or some kind of a little emotional breakdown that I had that completely unexpectedly as a product of this emotional experience that I was having, I went to my bedroom and started um, writhing and, and squirming. And what it, was, what it felt like was all this, um, and I was screaming, what it felt like was all this kundalini energy that I'd been raising up my spine for the past couple of months was getting sucked out the other end. And this, and this is... Um, I think this is one of the dangers, and I think if you if you do it uh, without the right grounding and without the right reverence and without the right intention, uh, this is the risk you run. This is why it's not wise to just go around saying, "Oh yeah, man, you know, do your kundalini thing," and 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 it's so cool, because it's not cool if if you if you do it wrong. And I think actually that having that experience. Um, taught me a lesson, but it also, I think, set me back some. And I'm just now, like, like I said, I'm just now coming back to a, um, a spiritual understanding of the world that that fits me. Um, but yeah, so and Prashant, I mean, have you heard of any? It's actually called um, Kundalini psychosis. It's, it's sometimes referred to as Kundalini psychosis. And in and in Chinese medicine, we have, and it's a very real thing, especially in China, where a lot of people get really, really into qigong. Everybody, you know. Just about everybody knows standard uh, 24-form Tai Chi in China, um, and a lot of people do Qigong. So um, in China, it's called Qigong psych psychosis. Prashant, have you have you been exposed to any of that? Do you um, do you have any experience with that kind of thing where it's where it's backfired on people? Uh, I mean, I have heard of a lot of cases of these things happening because. Uh... Hmm. Sometimes you may not be in the right emotional state when these emotion when these things get triggered, and uh, that can create for a very unstable configuration of your mental patterns to be present when a Kundalini experience is going on. Because the process is a process of conscious surrender to this energy, and if there is any resistance that is happening in your natural patterns, it will affect it in a negative way, and you will end up mm -hmm. having nightmares. You might end up having some kind of psychosis or some kind of other complex emotional problems like depression because you're just not able to understand why your body is going through these radical changes in a short, such a short amount of time. You don't have right. any logical reason to support it because you have not gone through that kind of trauma to set this off. So it's, it's like it starts off as a process that takes you through a blissful experience in the start, but you also need to be very responsible to take care of your own body which is why it's kind of necessary to find alternative paths to chase the highs that you know are possible. So let's, uh, I, I think it, we've talked about the negatives of uh, Kundalini for one who <laughs> does, ha uh, you know, have the, the benefit of uh, a guru or, or a master or uh, some self 
uh, taught method uh, used responsibly, uh, what would be the benefits uh, that? Well, well, Jonathan Qigong, I'll be the uh, uh, Prashant will represent the uh, the Vedic tradition, and I'd be happy to uh, uh, pull the Taoist uh, weight here. That'd be fine. That'd be fun. Oh yeah, we represent so, Qigong. Yeah, Qigong and Tai Chi is is uh, I mean it's it's fascinating how it's basically just um, another expression of the exact same things that are being said in in the Vedic tradition. You know how they have Sahasrara at the at the at the top of the head in Chinese medicine. It's a point we call Du Twenty on the Du Meridian, the Du Channel. Uh, du Twenty in Chinese is Bai Hui, which is very interestingly um, translates to the hundred meetings. The hundred meetings where um, in, uh, the Sahasara is what thousand, what Prashant? Yeah, that's a thousand petal lotus. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. There's even this this um, you know high number of 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 things converging there, and it's 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 all very it's all very um, synchronistic how these things overlap. So what would the uh, what would the lotus petals or the uh, the meetings uh, represent? Uh... So according to the yogic traditions, what they say is that when the kundalini hits your sahasra chakra, it pierces through it. And that's when your natural energy is aligned with the cosmic energy. So it is a certain point where uh, after you cross your agna chakra, when your energies are at their peak, you are at the highest point of individuation in your consciousness. And mm. at that time, the, the individuated consciousness has a choice to either stay here with that configuration or it can move on to higher dimensions and join with the con cosmic consciousness. So the Sahasra Chakra is the point where the individuated consciousness blends into the cosmic consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting in, 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 Taoist, um, in Taoist alchemy and Qigong, what you're doing is you're pulling the energy of, of heaven uh, down into your body and you're raising the energy of earth up to the top of your body and you're letting these these yin and yang energies blend in the body and you know I never um, I think at this point I've gone further with the uh, I'm, I'm sure I've gone further with the with the Qigong and the Taoist alchemy than I ever did with the yogic practices but um, Prashant, what is, what would the the analog be? Uh, there's the Ida and Pingala, right, on the left and the right. Ex explain that to me, Prashant, if you can. I've always wanted a good explanation. Oh, uh, sure. So there are three main energy channels in the human body: the Ida, the uh, and the Pingala, which is equivalent to the feminine and the masculine energies. And uh, there is a central channel called the Sushumna, which activates when both the energies in these two nadis start balancing each other. Nadis are what we call energy channels that go mm. all the way across the body and they distribute your pranic energy. Pranic right. energy is essentially what uh, you call the life force energy or the chi or the jing in different traditions. So it's basically talking yeah. about the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the... Uh, exactly, yeah. Can, uh, can I just say, y'all mentioned uh, meridians on the body and... Uh, energy mm -hmm. channels and uh, people also talk about how the earth has uh, meridians as well um, actually um, I'm going to stop you there I um, 
just to kind of nitpick, but I think it does, there's an interesting philosophical point. Um, certain acupuncture traditions do refer to them as meridians. Um, in the, in the school that I come from, I was taught that the problem with the word meridians, um, is that it kind of implies this static kind of a thing, right? Whereas, uh, a channel or a vessel, you know, if you look at a river, if you watch a river at a bend in the river over, um, uh, you know, years, um, and especially over decades and hundreds of years, it's constantly moving. It's actually slithering back and forth like a snake. So um, one way of saying this is that, one, there's there's an infinite number of acupuncture points, you might say, on the body. But at the same time, there's also the, the, um, the path of this chi and the channels is um, also constantly changing in, in, in our medicine. When we do palpation and when we try and find what we call asher points and things like this, it's it's not always on what you would consider the channel according to the textbook to be. It's, you know, it's off to the side or it's not not a uh, standard acupuncture point. It's 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 a it's an image. You know, it's a it's a, a holographic reflection of the energies of that organ and the energies of the body projected onto um, what isn't, I think, really the exact same thing in, in maybe in Ayurveda uh, and in the yoga tradition, these nadis. These uh, these channels in Chinese medicine. they're called Jing, they're called Jing Mai in in Chinese. So similar to like how the currents might move in an ocean, they they exactly. tend to follow the same path, but it's fluid, it's flowing, it's flux. Um, so mm-hmm. so just you know that uh, meridians channels, about ley lines? yeah, yeah, ley lines. I mean, so so it you know uh, the hermetic axiom, as above, so below. Uh, or so above, so below. These channels that we have in our bodies, uh, the earth has them as well. I mean, all all living things have them. Is is that kind of how we might extrapolate this? Yeah, it's like um, um, <laughs> you know, it's almost like it's it's a transfer of information from uh between, you know, Planck spherical units on the surface of a proton. It's almost like they're just channels of information is what it is. And when you do when you do certain forms of acupuncture, you actually you actually take an image of a channel or of a location on the body um to and and you map it onto another channel. So if, like to give you an example, and this is why it 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 it's so uh, a lot of the other acupuncturists um, that I'm in school with. Um, I've gotten one of my classmates into Nassim Harline, but um, uh, a lot of them don't have the 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 pleasure and the advantage of this concept uh, of of holography in the universe, even though we get it intuitively. Um, what what I might do say what what I've been doing one thing I've been doing lately to treat back pain is um, actually so if you look at your um, the cubital crease uh, uh, um, on the opposite side of your your elbow, uh, there's this cubital crease where people uh, generally get dread blood uh, blood drawn up here, um, a little a little bit down from this, so a little bit um, towards your hand. We're going distally, so for a lot of people with back pain, I palpate the uh, the lung channel and then the heart channel because of some energetic associations with what we call the organ clock. What's palpate and uh, palpate means I'm, I'm, you know, I'm digging my thumb in there, and I'm, I'm actually 
I'm, I'm feeling whether or not there's, I'm looking at the patient's face, I'm seeing whether or not there's pain upon palpation, excuse me, upon pressing. And I'm also palpating for uh, not just tenderness, but dryness, swollen, um, seeing if things are swollen, seeing if things are, kind of, seeing if there's little noduly guys in there, little, uh, like little grains of rice or little, uh, little balls and things like that. These are uh, manifestations of phlegm in the lung channel. Um, I'm sure everyone listening right that, now is is rubbing their uh, their arm like I am. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things um, that we do is we we can palpate right there, and a lot of people, and it's actually been um, I'm just now starting to experiment with these techniques in clinic. Um, you uh, you palpate those sides of those channels because they reflect uh, the bladder and the gallbladder meridian. Uh, here I go using that word meridian. Um, the lung channel and the heart channel sort of on either side of this part of your arm reflect your low back and they reflect actually that, that spot on your low back, like L2, sort of in that area. And what we do is, you know, I mirror that and people's back pain goes away. And it goes away more so than if I were to needle their back itself or something else on their body. And it's because of this holographic representation of the energies in the body where things are stagnant. The definition of pain in Chinese medicine is is stagnation. We say where there's where there's stagnation, there's pain, where there's pain, there's stagnation. And this whole idea of stagnation is the exact reason why Prashant um, and I are uh, advocating for doing your yoga practices and doing your Tai Chi and Qigong practices if you're going to engage in these psychic and uh, these mental, emotional, and psycho-spiritual practices because they are they are one and the same. And um, anyway, I just, I just think that's a neat little representation of how these how these channels and these this flow of energy is mapped holographically onto itself in other parts of the body. I think uh, it's really neat how even Avatar, the animated series, managed to capture this whole spiritual experience so well for kids. And uh, I mean, I just hope that there's that there were some kids who were inspired to start meditation at a very early age because of how beneficial it can be. When you're still growing through, you're still going through a process of uh, neuroplasticity, the possibilities of it opening up many other possibilities of higher designs for you. And if it gets integrated in those crucial years of your mental development, you just have a beautiful life ahead of you. So the earlier mm. you start off, honestly, we ha we're going to have a lot more hope from our generations going forward. Oh, I agree completely. I didn't catch that. what uh what animated series was it? Avatar. Uh, oh, Avatar, Avatar. La the uh the last yeah. airbender. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. I saw the movie, but uh they didn't make a movie. Right? Oh, that I forget that ever happened. <laughs> what movie? <laughs> no, I've <laughs> I've uh I've like seen a couple of the episode uh episodes. I need that's a series I need to to watch. Uh I've been recommended it several times. Did you guys catch up with Split recently, uh, the last M. Night Shyamalan one? I felt that that was a pretty good uh, redemption for him, with the way James McAvoy was able to do the whole multiple personalities bit. <laughs> no, I, what, what's this? Is movie? it Split? It's Split, yeah. I, I, no? My wife wanted to watch that with me, but uh, I, I didn't watch it. Maybe I'll have to go and, uh, and check it out. Oh, that's, that's a trip. Okay, good, good, good. I love a good uh, M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong movie. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> no, I mean, everybody rags on him, but Signs was great. And uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, it didn't make sense. 
you know, aliens who are allergic to water come to a planet that's 90% water. I mean, but think about it. It's like, well, well, we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be able to survive on Mars, yet we're trying to get there. So how much sense does it really make? You know? Oh, or maybe... Or maybe we already got there from there. Yeah, that that's true. Uh, the uh, <laughs> remote viewing experiments done by the CIA, Mars a million years ago. Uh, they had they took people that um, you know were were remote viewers, and uh, remote viewing is when you view another location either at that time or at a time in the past or future. Uh, from where you are now and the military uh the cia specifically had been researching this to see if they could weaponize it to, i mean because that's the ultimate spy tool right you can just look at what whoever yeah. is you know you want to spy on is doing um that's the that's big brother before big brother yeah yeah before. the men who stare at goats <laughs> uh but they uh they right. did this they did this experiment where they took people that were trained remote viewers and they said view this location, this sealed envelope, and it was Mars uh, one million years ago, and the things that they said they saw was uh, a dying race on a dying planet that was searching for uh, somewhere else to go. And I mean, just it's it's really crazy. I can't. I don't want to screw up the details, so I won't go any further. But hmm. that's uh. But it's it's kind of crazy, like how how much a healthy electromagnetic field just matters in the whole existence of your Earth, because essentially that is all that is really missing from Mars. If you have a healthy electromagnetic core, you automatically present the conditions for life to take place naturally, and that's all that's missing from there. So maybe just maybe there might have been some sort of solar system event that led to. Uh, the whole core being blown out in some way and possibilities of uh, civilization struggling to survive over there still digging underground or maybe having some other stations that we just can't access at this point yeah i mean if there if there if there was a race a million years ago and they went subterranean i mean we're not x-raying the surface of mars to my knowledge i don't know if we would even have the capability of it um but Another thing, um, if if the problem is the lack of an electromagnetic field, shouldn't we be putting research? And I'm not saying there isn't. I don't I don't know if there is or not. But shouldn't we be researching whether we might could generate uh, kind of a electromagnetic field on a smaller scale that may could be say a mile wide and use that to I don't know. Sounds cool in I my think head. Tesla, probably Tesla was on to those things very early <laughs> on, and you know what happened to him. Yeah, but I mean, so right. you know, it should be no, possible. We don't want to talk about Tesla anymore. <laughs> I love Nikola Tesla, <laughs> but uh, no, I I think right. that's something that we should maybe. Uh, I don't think anybody's talked about it. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. But creating an artificial uh, EM field that we could build a, a biodome under uh, to protect us from all the bad shit in space. Musk might be one of those guys on the frontiers thinking about all these things. Yeah, I, I, I like Musk. I know a lot of people hate on him too. I, I don't know about all of his motives, but uh, I, I like the ideas that he's doing. I like that we do have some people that are trying to put out big 
stupendous, you know, large ideas that are impossible. Impossible goals. We need much more of them. We need so many more impossible goals for our just our <laughs> species and for humanity. I was a little concerned when you started talking about transhumanism very early on in a very ambitious way without having right. enough testing done in the artificial intelligence field. But I was right. a little relieved when I heard about uh, him understanding the dangers that are possible of uh, us going really crazy with this, this, this whole obsession of trying to replicate human intelligence only through development of the logical processes, which is currently the way of trying to find uh, the optimum artificial intelligence just just outsource the left brain part of your brain of your psyche to an entity and see how it goes you don't really know how it's going to work out that way yeah and, right. oh ai is so scary sorry go ahead yeah so so part of my journey was to in, to like to figure out where we are as a civilization and where we need to go forward because I feel that we're at a crossroads where you see two ways. You go one way, you're going to find your own path, you're going to build decentralized communities with decentralized currencies in the way you wanted to, or you mm. can go the super centralized route of trying to invest in this superior intelligence to you and then trying to outsource everything that you are responsible for in terms of evolution to it. I feel that's a burden that we have not really understood ourselves and we need to research a lot more before we try to pass it on to an artificial intelligence modeled on us. Because right now we are not model citizens ourselves. So that's right. something that we need to get a check on ourselves. We need to balance the left brain part of our intelligence with the right brain one if you want to build an optimum civilization. So the burden of evolution is with us. Artificial intelligence used to to help rid us of menial jobs. Sure, I feel that's, good. that's a great idea, but artificial intelligence as a means to substitute our intelligence, I feel that's a very ridiculous concept to begin with. I mean, that's just a road to ignorance and, and idiocracy. I mean, uh, it's the, the movie created into reality at that point i mean if we essentially yeah. mentally check out from our existence we're just leading nothing but a hedonistic lifestyle which sounds great you know to some people but in practice is not uh, something that's going to expand our consciousness or make us grow and uh, uh i agree with you that you know the the use of ai in order to ease the burden on suffering and those you know less fortunate I think that is great. I think that's noble. But uh, I definitely agree with you that the creation of uh, any kind of life when we're at a point where we can't take care of the life that's already existing is just completely foolhardy and reckless and stupid. All right. Yet full speed ahead. Yep. Seems to be our MO. I, it's interesting... Um, Sitting here listening to you guys, I can tell this is a topic you guys think about often, but I, you know, um, and I feel similarly with um, a lot of these conspiracy theories, and that was that's something that I've uh, spent a good deal of time diving into. I've listened to a lot of Peace Revolution podcasts, and I, I own a copy of Tragedy and Hope and, and stuff like that, but um, eventually, you know, a sort of 
a sort of nihilism sets in, at least, you know, and that's why I love to talk to optimistic people like you two um, when it comes to, the, you know, human potential in the future of, of, of mankind. Um, you have no idea how much of a relief it feels to find souls like you guys out there. Right, right. And, you know, and, and here we are making this podcast and, you know, what a great thing that is. Who knows who's going to listen to this? I think it's, I think it's, it's beautiful. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting when, when I get onto the topic of, of certain things like space travel or certain, um, conspiracies and stuff like that, my mind is open. I'm not, I'm not close, close minded to the, to the possibilities, but at the same time, I feel I feel quite strongly, and in maybe part uh, part of this is a self defense mechanism, um, trying to sort of act against the the encroaching nihilism of all the ridiculous shit that goes on um, in our world. But I, you know, I feel and I felt for some time that life is human life and human experience is a spiritual virtual reality and that and that the spiritual nature of this process and the the sort of metaphysical implications of this process that is to me the 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 primary goal because i can't i can't um unless well you know i can through my consciousness and through my positivity and by talking to people and by 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 loving and by and by um by sharing love with people, I can I can influence the entire world, and even you know even in the, almost sort of in a mundane mechanical way by meditation, and by sending those sort of vibrations out with the human consciousness sitting, and tapping into the void, I can I can influence reality itself, not just my reality. Well, I know those things to be true. I you know part of my um, part of what's maybe even what's held me back for the for the past few years is. Saying, you know what? No, I can't. Can't really deal with all that. What I what I'd really like to focus on is just me and my own spiritual process, and letting the people that are meant to come into my life come into my life, and um, my own sort of personal spiritual development. So it, it's just interesting hearing you guys talk about artificial intelligence and Elon Musk and all this kind of stuff. I, um, you know, I, maybe maybe my brain just doesn't have the uh, the room in it right now because I'm also involved in a lot of other projects and with school and stuff like that right now. But um, I don't know. It's it actually it's actually quite inspiring is what I'm trying to say. Oh, thank you. It's actually quite inspiring. Well, I, I yeah. think that. Uh, sorry, Prashant, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I was just about to add. We are the ones we have been waiting for. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, that's that, very yeah, true. Yeah, we have to do it ourselves. What uh, I mean. Cynicism is an easy trap to fall into. Despair is an easy trap to mm -hmm. fall into. Uh, depression mm -hmm. is an easy trap to fall into because they are, by their nature, easy. It's easy to follow along and and just let yourself be dragged along by the the masses and the crowds. And it, it's the opposite is is hard. It's it's hard work, but the reward is such a. Yeah stronger feeling of self-worth and well-being and you know we we expand our capacity for these states through the act of doing them if yeah. if we don't work 
You know, if we don't put forth effort, then we will never get better or be able to do more work and put forth more effort. It's just like exercising. You don't get stronger if you don't work out. You don't grow if you don't stretch, if you don't push yourself, if you don't experience discomfort. And I think that's one of the main problems with society today is we despise discomfort and we've accepted the fact that it's okay to or that it, it that we've accepted that we want nothing but comfort and ease and you know we don't want to work nobody wants to work everybody just wants mm-hmm. you know a basic income where they don't have to go to a job and let the robots do it and you know la da we'll just sip wine and drink beer and watch football and you know that but that's we're not growing as a as people we're not growing as individuals we're not growing as a group i mean it's like you said stagnation of energy so so i sorry the way where i wanted to take this is you know what can we do to change that how can we get started how can we go to someone who's depressed and has no motivation or drive or will to do anything and tell them look it's going to be okay do this i mean how do we change that well I'd like, to, I'd like to qualify my statement by saying it, it was it's an attitude that I've held for a long time that um, uh, you know I, I get a lot more spiritual fulfillment out of uh, learning about um, how to develop myself personally and spiritually and mentally and intellectually and even physiologically and those kinds of things. But the uh, I'm talking about the task of unifying us. Uh, as as y'all are saying on this on a civilizational uh, level and the the amount of um, consciousness that that's going to take and you know I guess that you know for me the first step there is a faith in in consciousness and the power of human consciousness itself and like I was saying about sitting and even making my dent in the world just by just by being you know. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Continue with what you were. I just wanted to, you know, maybe clarify a bit. Oh no, I mean that's that, that's pretty much it. I but I think that faith is important, and what you described was faith. You know, you have to believe that what you do will make a difference. You have to believe that yeah. you can change things, and we can. Well, I we mean, have, I can have... go. I can go cuss out the the cashier at McDonald's and say, you know you screwed up my hamburger, you gave me the wrong order and and I can make that person have a terrible day. You know, and I I have done it before. I will do it again, not because I want to, but because it's just it's it's something that I'm working <laughs> on. It's it's a problem that I have. Uh I I I am an angry person sometimes. But uh you know, at the same time I can I can go into that same place and I can tell that I can be nice to that person and and I can smile at them, and I can, you know, make them feel like they're worth more, and yeah, have a completely absolutely. opposite effect. Absolutely. So, so I hmm. would say that grounding is something that really needs to come first and foremost to someone going through a time like that. And in my opinion, like I define grounding as, uh, it's something that makes makes us think about how well we color the blueprints of our own existence and how symmetrically harmonious the vibrations of these impressions are. So, 
the first thing that you really need to embrace is yourself on the on your path to healing and and i feel like that's something that modern psychology has somehow failed to live up to because i f- <laughs> i find a persistent sense of victimization in in our society to to sustain this victim mindset and try to blame other people for your problems but you right. have to understand that they that those people you are blaming have been victims of brainwashing themselves it's just it's just like a crazy machine gone completely haywire after mm-hmm. you kept feeding the same wrong input for so long mm-hmm. so you need to you need to accept yourself for who you are and you need to just acknowledge that the problem is not you you are the one who is simply suffering from the problem i feel like that distance has not been maintained between uh, the way society tries to treat uh, people as who are suffering from all these problems you're talking about um sort of are you talking about like like yeah, self blame i'm just talking about people who are uh, like maybe societal outliers or people who are going through psychological problems this whole tendency to try to isolate groups into names is is something that right. not helpful to the healing of people absolutely and you need the kind of healers who present their best self to you mm-hmm. who need to be authentic with you who aren't treating you from behind a wall or trying to medicate you to get you out of it as a simple solution you need you need that human experience i mean if not here then where and i think a lot of people can identify with uh at least in western medicine going into the doctor you know telling him you've got a cough and and a sore throat and then you know he checks your temperature looks in your ears and writes you a prescription for an antibiotic and that's that's it you know nothing at not not really and not all doctors i'm not going to i can't say everybody but a lot of them won't get into uh you know your what you go through personally on a day-to-day basis or or try to get to the root cause of why you caught that cold or and and I think that's uh in holistic medicine or or eastern medicine and that that's the difference you know they try to get to that root cause and uh please Connor take over because this is uh more your specialty well i'm thinking and about the fact that's one of the reasons that... i really appreciate the kind of work Connor does because the the kind of healers who are going to take the very holistic route of trying to investigate things themselves before they use those those healings on you is very important right so right really appreciated that you're doing this for everyone out there well thank you Sean. um yeah and and in the entire tradition of chinese medicine it's it's you know even even the field of acupuncture and oriental medicine is kind of um split so there are acupuncturists out there who refuse to even use this mystical word chi or anything like that or even talk about the chi in the channels or anything like that i mean i'm just going to go on record saying i i think that's you know cutting yourself a little short in terms of the potential that can be had with this medicine but uh and self cultivation since time immemorial in chinese culture and with some of the figures we have like sun sim yao and um and a lot of these confucian and taoist um uh philosophical kind of mystical heroes uh self cultivation is key you know you do qi gong if you are a um chinese physician um that's not necessarily the case so much anymore uh, medicine in china 
today is extremely westernized. It's extremely westernized, and in fact, um, Chinese medicine is more alive. This is my this is my opinion. This is based on partially the opinion of certain uh, uh, physicians and scholars like Heiner Fruhauf and stuff like that. It, it would seem, and I never, I personally had never been to China, but it would seem as though Chinese medicine is more alive um, in uh, basically anywhere but China than it is, you know, it's, it's sort of uh, spread out all over the world. Basically, the, uh, the best place to get a Chinese medical education is the West um, as opposed to China. The, the, form, the form of Chinese medical education that they teach in China is um, what we call TCM. TCM was invented in the 1950s under communist China in Mao. So, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know that we want to go down down that road. But one of the things I was I was thinking about during that, what you were just saying is that I mean, to my knowledge, as far as I can think of, the shortest visit you can find with any of the acupuncturists in my personal circle is 45 minutes to an hour of, of their time in order to um, talk to you, ask you about everything, your perspiration, your urination, your defecation. You know, we talk about pee, poop, and everything. Um and then uh, we feel your pulse, and we look at your tongue, and we read your face, and we read your ears, and you know we do all that kind of stuff. And um, and then we palpate your channels, like like I was talking about. And then you get your needles, and then we might send you home with a customized herbal formula. At this point in my um, in my learning, a visit with me is is two hours. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of exchange, and there's a lot of energetic exchange and uh, knowledge that can be had about a person. In that time, yeah, it is great. I'm not, I don't exactly remember how we got on this topic, but um, oh, we but were talking I, about um, uh, Western versus Eastern medicine treating the yeah. the symptom versus treating the root, root of the pulse. problem. Yeah, we 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 give it in terms of roots and branches. Do you treat the root or do you treat the branch? You treat both. Actually, is what you do. I was just talking about taking away people's back pain, but it's like peeling away layers of an onion. You have nobody's going to come and see you again if if you. Uh, and there's different schools of thought on this. I'm not, you know, I don't know how many other acupuncturists are going to listen to this podcast. You know, um, um, if you do, please hit me up. I'd love to talk to other acupuncturists that are into Nassim Haramine. But um, uh, I believe, you know, and I think uh, it's wise to treat both. You treat the root and the branch because, like I said, you're peeling away layers. You're trying to get to the root cause by um, – by peeling away these layers, you know, if somebody comes to you for back pain and you want to talk to them about their trauma with their, you know, their mother or their father or something like that, uh, that's all completely and absolutely legitimate. And, and if you want really deep healing, it has to be addressed. Um, but you can't, you can't do that to the exclusion of addressing what somebody comes to see you then and there for. So that's why, you know, I keep thinking I love that I love that one of the themes of this this talk we've had is removing stagnation. I think it's something everybody should take home from this is whether or not it's Qigong and Tai Chi or yoga or even um just going to the gym. Of course that's a whole loaded topic. Be careful if you do that. Don't overdo it in the gym. But move your body and relieve stagnation. Um, that's yeah, how just your body... follow. I'd say just follow yeah. any impulse that wants to make you feel better. That's all it takes. Doesn't matter if it's uh, if it's exercising in the gym. Doesn't matter if it's yoga 
or it's surfing, mm. whatever really brings the best out of you, just follow that. And absolutely, the, there is no set path. That that is the beauty of this experiment. You follow one impulse to the next impulse that wants to make you feel good, and just follow the chain of causalities. And mm-hmm. somehow these causalities will turn into synchronicities at one point, where you feel your own role as a co-creator in this universe, where you are contributing one thing, and the universe is sending ten other things your way. It really is an unbelievable experience, at least from the lives I hear about. discussed from everyone else here and going by my own experiments i could have never imagined the kind of experiences that are capable of having like just mm-hmm. going going through this road is mind blowing yeah it is and it's beautiful to see people's these synchronicities unfolding for people you know and and seeing just how these things manifest it's so it's so wonderful so let's uh Let's say what a synchronicity is. I mean, because it means different things to different people. Some people think it's sure it does. looking at a clock and seeing eleven, eleven, or you know, five fifty-five, or certain repeating numbers I, everywhere. And well, I, Jonathan, I actually think that um, the importance of looking at the clock and seeing that it's eleven, eleven, or that it's like, uh, say, for instance, like the month and day of your birthday represented on a clock. Say something like that. Um, I don't think. That that should be um, underplayed, and I'm not saying that you were, but I think that that is actually be like the base level of realizing time is not this linear thing, and your local reality has all this potential to be synchronized with you know this greater field. Um, so I, I think um, people shouldn't um, ignore those things, and in fact, whenever you find that happening, absolutely. Give thanks first, and then just soak it up and say, "Wow, what an incredible life this is to to be experiencing this synchronization between my consciousness and my semantic experience of the world." So the way that I put meaning into into life through language, what that means to me. Oh, okay, you know, my birthday. It's not just your birthday; it's that you. Happened to look at the clock, and you were thinking about this thing, and all these kinds of things. It may seem really, really mundane. Of course, if you know, we have our sort of physicalist, materialist uh, skeptics listening to this. They, um, they would have made it into this far, this far into this podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I hope they did. But <laughs> yeah, they'll probably turn you off the first five minutes. Welcome, brothers and sisters. You know, but, uh, um, I think if that you that's made actually... it this far, you're one of us. I feel. <laughs> E- right, yeah, absolutely. email me and I'll send you a T-shirt. No, 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 I won't. Oh God! But still, email me. Yeah. Your help. Uh, yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I haven't let Prashant speak on this yet. But I just think, I just think that it's, um, it's one of those things that should be paid attention to. I think that's actually the ground level of getting your consciousness synchronized uh, with things. And in fact, like late, and in fact, I can give my own personal experience for this. Like I said, I'm I'm coming back into my own sort of spiritual, spiritual reality, a spirituality that that jives with me, and it's amazing. Like I went a couple years without really having those simple synchronicities, the clock synchronicities, or the uh, minor, those little minor telepathic 
synchronicities and I started they started popping up again and I said wow and I gave thanks and I said that's right this is what it's like to live in this incredible um encoded you know this virtual spiritual reality this matrix uh where where things start to overlap like this um and <clears throat> excuse me so the more the more that started popping up I started having these remarkable things where people were people are talking about um it may seem kind of mundane but they weren't just mentioning a movie that i happened to watch uh last night um they were talking about the exact aspect of that movie that i'd already thought about and used it as a reference to make a point to me that was actually quite a profound lesson and just happened to be the movie that i watched you know i mean it's things like that um like the universe yeah. reinforcing your lessons that these are the right clues that you need to go further in your investigation of reality absolutely so i would say that synchronicity is a sign from the universe of uh, it's a sign for you to awaken that aspect that wants to be led by your intuition and supported by your logic because i feel like when you try to understand time just from a linear perspective and just try to understand reality from a deductionist mindset you are limiting yourself to the possibilities that are beyond the capabilities of your equipment the mm. human body itself is like the greatest gadget ever invented there is i i won't say that we even know beyond 5 to 10% of our own capabilities at this point mm-hmm. according to modern science so we have a long way to go and uh, i feel like when you start investigating reality from a spiritual point of view these are just natural occurrences that will come your way they are a way to show you that reality is not separate from the observer that the observer can have a very tangible effect on the perception of the reality because perception is all that reality is i mean perception is what draws the line between the profane and the profound so you yeah. need to be the one who chooses the right filter for yourself whether you want to see reality from just a left brain point of view or just the right brain point of view or whether you want to really see it for what it is a blend of both right right and and eventually these these synchronicities that have gone from clocks to um not just movies but this in this complex mix of time and meaning and semantics and like your own thoughts and philosophies about what it is you saw and these things you know it may seem mundane to some people but uh these things transform into people where you where your lives where your karmic momentum is actually colliding with another person's life in such a way that it's like a to- total strangers it's it's a lot like us in this conversation right now but total otherwise total strangers are uh totally just lining up over and over and over with with your lives or with with your interests or with what it is that you need to hear or what should be meaningful for you in that moment so oh um there's a book Carl Carl Jung wrote the book Synchronicity okay and I really actually I have read it or at least most of it I uh from what I recall and I really do recommend it it is um it's a it it from reading that book it'll it can train you how to be able to speak about this phenomenon in a way cuz Carl Jung spent his entire Carl Jung spent his entire life trying to make his work um 
as valid as he could because he was a psychologist. I mean, yes, he was he, he was in the psychoanalytic tradition. And he's tradition. one of the really he's one of the really genuine ones. Yeah, he's he's yeah, really absolutely. great. Uh, one of the yes. I, I would consider uh, fathers of par- or maybe not father, but definitely a, a huge contributor to uh, parapsychology. Um, and I yeah, he's uh, he was a huge believer. Uh, can, he actually there's a story where Carl Carl Jung uh, convinced um uh freud sigmund freud uh of uh synchronicities or or so it's told uh young went to uh freud's house and they were standing there talking and he said that there was going to be a rap or a knock on the uh right just just in a next moment and a book or something fell over the bookshelf and there was and right Freud said, you know, that's that's ludicrous or that's madness. He's, he says there's going to be another one, and there was another one. And it's like that's what, you know, Freud didn't know what to think. It was like his whole reality came crashing around him. And uh, that, that story was in um, Arthur Kessler's book. Uh, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's uh, a look into parapsychology, um, The Roots of Coincidence. Uh, oh, cool! Excellent book. Excellent cool. book. And 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 that very scene is also portrayed in the movie, A Dangerous Method. Um, it's got Viggo Mortensen and Keira Knightley. Uh, it's it's pretty good. Pretty good movie. Um, um, I do recommend that one too. But and you know I'm just thinking about the fact that that kind of phenomenon surrounding Carl Jung and, and that ability for you know it's it's I guess, you know, telepathy, psychokinesis, um, and synchronicity in general, how all, all these things are kind of the same. We call them psi. In parapsychology, it's just called psi. There's psi phenomena, and psi is this Greek letter. This is, is this factor of the degree to which you are um, acting at a distance or whatever, the degree to which something is acting at a distance upon by human consciousness. They're talking about the degree to which these are all sort of on a spectrum, synchronicity, telepathy, because it's, you know, when you when you talk about certain synchronicities with people, they're totally it's totally a telepathic phenomenon that's happening a lot of the time. So, um, uh, you know, I think it helps to even I think it actually helps to lump these things together in your head and 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 realize that the reason why that kind of phenomenon happened with Carl Jung is because. Carl Jung had done the inner work, and he he was um, synchronized with his own with the, with his with his own consciousness and with the field that he was creating, with the way that he was manifesting his, his reality that that he he saw ahead, you know, and, and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I think um, that synchronicity is really about synchronizing your your mental reality with your physical reality. So that you can make your your thoughts manifest reality, essentially, um, and that's you know it's it sounds like magic because that's pretty much it what it is. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's uh, but <laughs> I, I think it's. I want to ask something about yeah. Carl Jung when you guys mentioned him. Do you guys agree that uh, Freud's philosophy was mainly limited to the lower chakras, and Carl Jung took it beyond them? And that together they are, yeah, that, uh, you know, they are whole. 
that sounds exactly. um that's a good analysis i think yeah yeah and mm-hmm. i i forget the relation they had like what was their relationship connor do you know it was something they worked it together. wasn't just they, colleagues yeah um carl jung uh at first he studied under freud and then um uh freud uh sort of the the story is he kind of uh had an attitude towards young that he was his heir and that he would call him son and that you you know he would refer to him as the heir of of the vienna club the psychoanalytic community in in, in vienna austria and then um and then carl young at one point was kind of like listen man you know you know i i'm he Carl Jung basically knew he was already transcending some of his ideas, and he didn't agree with the psychosexual, all of Freud's psychosexual interpretations. Um, but uh, Freud kind of had the thumb thumb on him. You know what I'm saying? He was kind of like, um, I, I, I'm assuming Carl Jung kind of felt um, oppressed. And by the way, this is all completely cataloged. You can actually read the entire the entire correspondence between Carl Jung. Um, I haven't gone that deep into it. I just um, I just know this through some exposure, and uh, Freud actually had later on, sort of in their um, their uh, relationship, Freud developed this this tendency of fainting in Carl Jung's presence, and um, for whatever reason, they there between both of them, there was a sort of final straw, sort of a straw that broke the camel's back, and they uh, uh, they sort of said said their goodbyes and never spoke it was kind of it kind of got nasty towards the end um but um my uh i just want to say this about carl jung and so my my personal hypno my hypnotherapist who's my psychologist who um by the way it's great if you can i do recommend everybody if it calls to you to do hypnotherapy work i really do recommend it because if you do enough hypnotherapy work then you can um you can learn to uh, uh, hypnotize yourself, and that is a huge avenue for your own personal transformation and for um, neurolinguistic programming and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so my my um, psychologist, who's also um, a teacher at my college, uh, he says that what really is so special about Carl Jung's work is that it's not clinical psychology. What it is is a transcendental philosophy or a, a philosophy about the transcendental power of the human being and the the um, this impetus towards individuation so if you come across this word come across this word and I think Prashant you've actually you, you actually used this word earlier um, individuation is this um, this Jungian idea of a soul that has or a psyche that has integrated all of its complexes and its ego has actually expanded in a way that it um, not not inflated. There's a difference between an ego that has expanded and an ego that has become inflated and pushed out its complexes, or pushed them sort of out of the way and created a pressure between its psyche and its shadow. Right, the shadow is sort of your your um, what you don't want to admit that you are. You know, you're, you're sort of. Um, your sort of uh, your demons and things like that it, that are part of your um, part of your being. So it, when your ego expands, so that your complexes, your psychological complexes, and your shadow and all this kind of stuff is is integrated, 
um, you become a whole person. And that is and that is the idea of of basically what they call Jungian psychology or depth psychology. It's also referred to as depth psychology. And by the way, for all the Jungian, real big Jungian fans out there, I'm sure I butchered some of that. But um, oh yeah, we probably what's, brutalized what's, it. What's so special? <laughs> of course, but what's so special is that um, it's not just clinical psychology. It's not how can I eliminate your neuroses? Okay, you have um, OCD or okay, you have, um, what they call, you know, OCD or manic depression or something like this. How can I manipulate your, um, perception of the world so that the symptoms of this neuros neurosis doesn't, um, doesn't affect you as much. It doesn't cause you as much harm that, you know, that's sort of like the clinical, the clinical psychological, um, take on it. But that, that wasn't Carl Jung's motive. It was, it was, it was, alchemical is what it was it was completely an alchemical transformation of the human being um into a better version of itself something that has integrated all of its experience and all of its potential and you know a form it's you know gnosis sort of like an alchemical gnosis sort of a knowledge of of one's of one's power and one's potential Prashant, what do you think about that Prashant? uh I, I completely agree with that. And uh, I also wanted to talk about how the idea of well-being is from uh, the mainstream point of view. So uh, have you guys heard about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid? Sure. So the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is uh, defining the model of well-being for an individual, for those who are listening in. So you start off from your basic needs, which are your physiological needs, your food, warmth, rest, water, and then you move up to your safety needs, which are related to your security and safety. Then as you progress further, it goes to belongingness and love. That's what your intimate relationships and your friendships are for. Then it moves mm -hmm. on to your self-esteem, which is about uh, feeling prestige and having a sense of accomplishment. And finally, it reaches to a point of self-actualization, which is about achieving right. one's full potential, including creative activities. But this final pyramid is missing a golden keystone, which is something that uh, Maslow was working on on his final days, and that golden capstone is called the self-transcendence bit. Because the model of self-actualization is the model of self in society. And you have to realize that even after you have reached the process of self-actualization, the learning is still going to be on. There is no point where you are ever complete and you need to keep digging through spiritual means Absolutely. to find out those multidimensional ways to express your consciousness. Right. Yeah, that's that's very important to state that you're, we're never done. Uh, we're and we're I mean, never done. If you, yeah. if you really analyze the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're exactly parallel to what the chakras are about. You start mm. off from the lower chakras, which are centered around your basic uh, fight and flight mechanisms and your desires. And then you move up to uh, the higher chakras, which are about willpower and connecting from your heart. And then you move on to a sense of full individuation of feeling empowered as an individual your upper two chakras and the final one is about merging with that energy you've carried that momentum of well-being up to higher possibilities that's all you're doing 
either you follow the maslow's hierarchy of needs or you follow a spiritual system to build your energies you are a yogi either way <laughs> oh that's a really interesting parallel i like yeah, that that's great i like that a that's lot great. well guys i um I hate to end it because we're we're having such a good conversation, but I'm I know, getting this is very great. hungry. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> we, we will do it again. We will do it again. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to add, uh, Connor? We'll go with you first. Um, oh, man. Uh, I don't – I just um, – you know, I hope that – I hope that podcasts like this um, – I see it. I see it resonating with people, and, I, and I, that's what I want. Is I want people to really get something golden out of this that um, helps them feel connected and, and and synchronized, and know that. You know, actually, um, we were having that conversation kind of about nihilism. I think, you know, more and more that the meaning in life is actually built in it's not so the existentialist philosophy like french existentialism is life is absolutely meaningless but it's still necessary to have meaning in your life so just make it up just come up with something act as if life is meaningful that's not the case because if you know if we are having this conversation and we're we're having these synchronicities and we're feeling this kind of transcendental connection with with um the people around us and with our reality um there's something there there's an there's an intelligent force that's holding everything together and that's connecting things and that's bringing you closer to your purpose and um i call it god you know but you can call it uh whatever and i just give thanks give thanks for that and know that you are protected Okay, and that so long as you are not um, uh, sort of neglecting, um, well, so, okay, so as long as it's not like a service to self mentality versus service to others, as we talk about this left hand path versus right hand path in uh, esoteric philosophy, as long as you're on the right hand path of service to others, what we call white magic, I think, um, and you're not dabbling in this kind of, kind of gray area then you know and your heart is pure and your intention is good and 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 healing and transformation um is your motive then you can do no wrong really so so that's kind of that's kind of my my takeaway is just um be blessed you know I think that's it that was beautiful well said yeah the universe has a plan it's uh it's our job to help it along bring it to fruition Mm-hmm. I'd just like to sign off with this one quote by Ramana Maharishi. He's one of the people who really affected my journey in, in the way it accelerated towards this path. So uh, one of his disciples asked him once, how are we to treat others? And Ramana Maharishi, he just simply smiled and replied, there are no others. So... <laughs> Whether you want to call it uh, service to self or service to all, that is just your perception. Ultimately, you are going on the path where you have to evolve back to yourself. There is nowhere else to go. So 
the way you would want to do it is to do it harmoniously to do it joyfully to right. find your fullest expression to bring your own mental physical spiritual well-being all in synchronicity do not let any of it lag and just find your own way have faith in yourself to do that you will have a very beautiful and unique way that is the way you were created and it's just about rediscovering your own creative spirit that's the beauty of the journey it doesn't have to have an answer you just enjoy the experiences along the way and make up the meaning as you said hmm. amen beautiful. beautiful guys i wish i could extend this into forever but we're going to have to leave it there uh it's okay it's you. not the last time Oh, no, we, yep. we will do it again. Thank you both uh, very much for joining me and for our discussion. Prashant, thank you so much for waking up at uh, 3 a.m. Uh, we appreciate oh, you being a... here. No problem at what? all. I'm about to start my pranayam anyway. <laughs> Great. Well, enjoy it. Uh, I, I hope it is uh, It was very... a wonderful experience talking to both of you guys. Thank, thank you. you, Prashant. You too. All right, and uh, listeners, we wish you the best, and uh, good luck on your journey. See you next time. Yeah.